Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. Banking is undergoing deep changes, and we've been tracking that. And as consumers become increasingly open to new digital options, incumbent banks are feeling the pressure. It's hard to innovate when you spend upwards of 70% of your budget just maintaining legacy systems. But neobanks are also dealing with their own reckoning. We've moved beyond those heady days where we got really excited about the overall headline customer numbers they were putting up. As they mature, unit economics matter for these institutions if they want to compete for the long term. Frankly, it's not easy and it's expensive to build a lasting banking franchise. Deloitte's Nick Cowell, digital banking leader, joins me on this podcast to go deep into talking about the challenges banks face. As he explores some of the causes of customer attrition, for example, Nick defines the characteristics of the eventual winners in the digital banking market. For him, the banks that will lead in the future will become a multi-tenant or multi-product provider for their customer base. This is part of a four-part series we're doing with Deloitte's financial services leadership on the trends shaping our industry today and out into the future. Here's my conversation with Nick. Great. So who are you and what do you do? My name is Nick Cowell. I'm a partner with Deloitte Consulting based out of uh, New York City, and I'm part of the digital bank leadership team um, for you know, coverage across North America and the United States. A lot of what we do is help you know, incumbent banking institutions, non-banks, um, and startups really design, build, and launch um, digital value propositions, whether that's new digital channels, new digital products, or more increasingly, um, helping founders actually launch um, new digital neobanks. I'm really interested in talking to you today, Nick. Uh, welcome to the show. Um, for digital banking in particular, and I guess to double click on that, retail and small business banking, um, what are some of the key forces you see driving its evolution acceleration? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a great question. And I think there's a number, particularly when we look at the United States, I think digital banking penetration um, in the EU in particular has been pretty mature for a number of years now. And we're starting to see more and more interest and adoption of, you know, digital banking in general and you know, new digital banks come to market. I think in the US, um, why the time is right now, particularly in retail and small business banking, a lot of, you know, um, the shift in consumer and small business owners, business owners banking behavior has been influenced by COVID. I think COVID really exposed the fragility of digital channel maturity um, and you know, consumers just demanded better. Um, I also think some of the generational shifts are really driving more and more focus on end-to-end -end kind of digital maturity across customer journeys um, and the ability to kind of self-serve across those journeys as well. Deloitte does pretty extensive market research um, and you know, interestingly, some of the work that you know, some of the, the research that we did earlier this year indicated that you know, about 60% of US adults um, would now be likely to switch to a digital only bank. And when you double click into some of the kind of the segments within that, 20% you know, of millennials already have a relationship with a neobank. So you know, adoption is increasing. Um, and I also think you know, the marketplace and the competitive landscape is fundamentally changing. It's no longer just banks competing with banks. We're starting to see the fintechs kind of decompartmentalize 
different parts of the, the, the banking value chains. We are seeing the rise and rise of more kind of digital neobanks or digital challenger banks, similar to what we saw in Europe five to seven years ago. And most disruptively over the last kind of 12 months, we've seen the entrance and you know seismic disruption that non-banks can have, in particular big tech companies or you know, companies where their brand equity and their customer engagement is incredibly strong. You know, they're now launching um, either full service banking offerings or very ta- tailored products, which is having a a um, a a big impact. Um, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll continue to see this dem- you unmet demand on the consumer and the small business owner side being fulfilled by you know um, different players in the markets. And I think the time is now for incumbents to recognise that and invest in in ensuring they survive and, and thrive in the kind of increasing digital world. I'd love to just double click on that. Um, given the research that you've seen in this evolution of digital banking, Nick, um, you don't see this as an anomaly, right? It doesn't sound that way. I mean, it sounds like there's a permanent shift in, in consumers' um, openness and intentionality around adopting digital tools after COVID. Yeah, and you don't get me wrong. It's not, COVID was a huge accelerator and catalyst, I think, particularly in the U.S. market. But I think this has been brewing for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, this is not an anomaly. I think a lot of consumers' expectations around digital experience, digital engagement, is actually fueled by their interactions with adjacent industries, whether that's, you know, e-commerce, whether that's social media. Mm-hmm. Those expectations are, are are obviously incredibly high, given the innovation driven um, by in those industries, and then they turn to kind of some of their banking providers, and you know, those expectations are are not met at all. Um, and so now they're looking for alternatives. I also think um, consumers, um, you know, buying and spending patterns are fundamentally shifting as well. No longer is it about who will give me the best deal or the best service, but there's um, you know, an ethos element as well, you mm-hmm. know, which brand really represents my beliefs, my values, and how does that not only show up in their corporate agenda, but you know, in the actual interaction I have with that institution, what rewards and centers are tied to the products that I'm purchasing or the services that I'm receiving, you know, um, how is marketing tailored and the experience tailored to that as well? And so I think, you know, it's not an anomaly and it's it's actually a moving target. It's not just now about having, um, you know, industry standard kind of mobile and web experiences. It's really becoming, that's the table stakes. How are you really innovating around your brand, around your product, around how you look at your customers, engage with them differently? Um, and that will be the, where the real digital champions emerge and, and others really struggle. I totally agree. And, and that's echoed by a lot of the, the guests we've had here on this on this podcast as well. Um, so given some of these challenges and this sort of um, ecosystem that you've you've set as a backdrop, let's look at the incumbents. Like, what are some of the challenges that traditional banks will have in in, in responding um, to this evolving market? Yeah, and it's you know it's a it's a it's a very broad question because I think what is in there's many things unique about the U.S. Um, banking landscape and financial services landscape. But I think when you look at the traditional archetypes of banks, there's a very broad range and the concentration and the the kind of services are, are, are fundamentally different. You know, you have the large multinationals and the large regionals right down to very small 
community players. I think when we look at some of the larger players, um, you know, speed to innovation is a real barrier for them just because of the organizational constructs and silos and decisioning bodies that can take time. Also, a lot of, you know, the baggage they come with from a tech and an operational debt perspective. I read a stat the other day, I think that on average, you know, CTOs and CIOs at big banks spend about 70% on their budget maintaining legacy tech, which yeah. when you think about the innovation required to you lead the pack or, or, or hang on the coattails, you know, 30% may not cut it year over year. And then um, you look at some of the, the smaller kind of regional players, and I think um, the investment required to really rethink and double down on not just you know, compelling and you know, um, high-performance digital products, digital experiences, digital channels, but the underlying platform infrastructure from a, um, from a servicing perspective, these are costly and they, these become almost generational investments for some of these small banks. You know, they're hedging their bets on these platforms and the experiences and innovation it will give them for the next 10, 20 years. And that obviously comes with a huge degree of risk and a huge degree of um, caution that has to be applied. And so there's, there's a lot of different kind of barriers and a different risk faced by banks across that spectrum. And I think the underlying you common pattern we're seeing is that more there's more and more um, customer attrition or customer exploration outside of their primary or secondary banking relationships, which you know incumbent banking institutions need to be you know, really aware of and and be addressing either by differentiated experience or just increased value that they can provide, whether that's financial or otherwise, to their to their customer bases. Yeah, and I like how you differentiate between primary and secondary banking relationships and how that's changing. I guess I'd love to zoom in um, and hear from you. Um, what are some of the characteristics that you've observed in some of the winners in, in the digital banking market? Yeah, I think there's, when you look at the um, the the real innovators, um, there's kind of foundational things which are just built into their kind of DNA which around really understanding the segments that they're targeting um, and building value propositions, which go deeper than just a transactional banking relationship. So like tug on the kind of emotional, you know, building emotional relationship, whether that's kind of the brand identity, whether that's just the brand positioning in terms of the marketing and how it engages with certain, seg certain segments, but more and more in the actual product and experience design, you know, how are you hyper-customizing the features, the incentives built around kind of traditional deposit or, or lending products to really speak to and incentivize adoption. And that goes beyond just offering like, you know, really compelling interest rates on high yield saving products. It's you know, how are the rewards tailored to the beliefs or the needs of certain segments. And that really shows up in terms of your cash back or give back or, or whatever it might be. Um, I think the second thing is really you know, um, having this mantra of it's not buy versus build, it's kind of a hybrid, you know, using the best in class fintech providers, the next gen technology stacks to kind of build your your um, your, inf your technical infrastructure to really drive that innovation and performance. But acknowledging that that last 20% or so really has to be unique to be credible and to differentiate from the competition in terms of what you're putting in the marketplace. And then I also think um, understanding that 
there there is a lot of optionality for diversification in revenue streams, whether that's you know taking traditional banking products and you know pricing them differently, whether you know subscription fees or product bundling, or actually looking beyond banking. And I think particularly in the small business space, there's a lot of opportunity of you through kind of APIs and partnerships, how can you provide your end customers as a bank a one-stop shop for, to help them manage their business? Insurance, tax services, accounting, workforce management services, all provided by a bank, but there's third parties on the back end actually you're offering the product. And then for some of these institutions that, you know, they're already doing it, I think Starling Bank is the leading example in the UK, actually you know, increasing the ROI on your platform investments by white labeling them and licensing them in a banking as a service model um, is just you know, another another way that you, some of these real digital innovators can be really successful and are being successful. And I think, you know, you've, the, you've used the word success in the question and I've used it in the answer. But I think um, you, one thing that we've spent a lot of time looking at is that definition of success. So you look at a lot of the large digital challenger banks, even the large ones in the US, um, success is really communicated to the market by customer acquisition numbers. Um, and I think more and more investors are putting pressure on digital only banks, neo banks, challenger banks around what is your path to profitability. Um, and I think having a clear strategy, product strategy around moving into interest income products, moving into lending, um, you, how do you drive kind of year over year profitability is something which a lot of these banks um, are going to have to demonstrate to, to, to really be successful. There's been success in disrupting the status quo from a brand perspective, from a customer acquisition perspective, from an experience perspective, you know, but now investors and, you know, analysts are looking at, okay, show me how you drive profitability. And I think there's been some really interesting models. Starling, as I mentioned before, really doubled down on share of wallet and product mix to a kind of a smaller customer base in the UK. And then you get others like Revolut, where it was all about scale, both geographic and product mix. And so there's different models, but I think the common theme is success has moved on from just digital experience and customer acquisition. It now is, you know, show me the profitability. Yeah, and I know when we first started covering the space in 2015, we started talking about unit economics and we were, there was no one else talking about that. It was all top line right. metrics, just exactly. as you were describing. How yeah. many customers can you get in the door, even if they don't put any money in their in their accounts? So yeah. I appreciate that, Nick, and, and the, giving us the perspective of like how we got here, what the dynamics at play. Uh, I'd love to look ahead uh, and see like sort of from your perspective, what are some of the current and anticipated future trends happening in the market that will influence digital banking propositions going forward? Yeah, and, you know, I think um, the data shows that there's market appetite by customers in the U.S. for differentiated digital experiences and you know, there's um, openness to actually moving to, you know, new brand, new digital bank brands, um, as we've seen from the customer acquisition numbers. But I think now, you know, the real winners will be the ones who can offer a broader set of products and services and in doing so, ensuring that they're driving profitability through just the economics of, of the products that they're offering. I also think we're going to see more and more demand for 
um, you know, banks to really kind of put their ethics you know, where their their wallet is, so to speak. And how do you actually build that into value propositions? So ensuring that you know customers' beliefs, the ESG agenda is actually showing up at a, in, a, in a very tangible way rather than just on kind of corporate agendas. I think um, coupled with that, you know, how can you use banking, everyday banking um, interactions to actually improve the access and opportunity for your customer base, whether that's through kind of better spending habits through you, your use of data and how you play that back to the customer in terms of financial health. Or even in some instances, you know, we, in the US, 16, or I think it's maybe 18% now of um, of the adult population can be considered unbanked or underbanked. So how can you build in um, tools which really target you providing better access and opportunity for those communities? I think there's a, a, so, a social need to do that. And then more broadly, I think... Um, we're going to see digital banks and digital bank brands evolve from just being a bank to being more of a you multi-tenant or multi-product provider for um, for their customer base. Well, I think we'll see you know it's very slow right now, but more and more M and A and JV activity as incumbent banks realise you know they may not have the brand equity to reach certain segments, or they may not have the you innovation to drive certain kind of product launches overnight. So how do they partner with a provider who can? And they figure out a revenue share model. You know, one we've been talking a lot to some of our clients is you have a kind of a digital bank brand, really own the customer on the front and the brand positioning and the customer acquisition. But some of the products, particularly the complex lending products, are actually underwritten by a larger incumbent. And there's some kind of revenue share mix which which benefits both parties there. Um, which I think we'll, we'll start to see a lot of. And then, you know, we've seen a little bit in the news in Europe in terms of you know, digital bank on digital bank acquisition. And um, as I think, you know, the path to profitability becomes more and more of a burning platform, I think we'll start to start to see that as well. And to your question earlier about you know, this moment being an anomaly, I think we'll see more and more demand from consumers, from small business owners, for better digital experiences, more transparent product and pricing, um, and banks to show up differently in terms of from an ESG and from a a, um, a values perspective, which could actually be more and more of a decisive driver in terms of who and where people choose to bank with. And you know, we're excited about where that goes. It levels the playing field, it brings new entrants in, and there's obviously the question around you know, how, how the regulation and the regulatory environment in the US will, will adapt and evolve to you know, enable but safeguard um, the system at large as we see this disruption. Nick, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Pleasure, Zach, as always. Thank you.